If you would please, in honor of the giver and of the word itself, would you stand with me for a moment as I read the scriptures? I'm going to be reading to you from John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and it's going to come from chapter 12. It's going to be the first 19 verses. Our emphasis will really be on verses 9 through 19 in a few moments. This is the word of God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Well, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put inside it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb was raised, raised him from the dead. They continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him that day was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is God's word for God's people, for God's glory forever. Please be seated. God calls us to celebrate. God calls us to celebrate and, and gives us ample reason. Under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit, John, the beloved apostle of Jesus, he penned the words of scripture that we've just heard. And I think he did an excellent job of portraying a, a festive community-wide celebration, which happened to include Jesus and, and his friends. A, a religious holiday approaching, a, a nice homemade dinner, a luxurious foot massage, a growing crowd of admirers, a, a ceremonial parade, a, a ride on an animal, and some greenery to, to mute the hoofbeats. Some loud affirmations of very historic significance. And, oh yes, 
a dead man who was alive again. Wow. Seems like the makings of a real party, doesn't it? Now, there was one teeny weeny little hitch in the party plans, though. It's hardly worth mentioning, really. It seems that the pastors of the local congregation had conspired to murder two men. No big deal. Yes, it was. I know the scene had been playing out as mostly peaceful right up until that murdery part, but now let's refresh our memory on that very, very few words that changed everything. It's here for us in verses 9 through 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. This was in Bethany now. Not, on account, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Lazarus proved to be quite a problem to the religious leaders of his day. Apparently, they had not issued a permit for him to come back to life on their watch. And since the majority of those chief priests belonged to the party of the Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection anyway. Awkward. To be fair, though, and from their point of view, I, I do get it. I mean, you can't have a, a non-union healer out doing miracles willy-nilly. It's just not good for business. So they hatched a scheme, and a dark one, to do away with both Lazarus and the carpenter's son as soon as possible. And to them, I'm sure it seemed like a good plan. But God had a different plan. And now, Probably the chief priests and the Pharisees should have sought counsel from God before they inaugurated their deadly plan. It might have saved them, oh, it would have saved them a great deal of embarrassment and frustration later on. And frankly, they're part of their job when they first signed on as being priests and Pharisees was that they would, in fact, inquire of heaven in order to lead on earth. I guess they just forgot that. In the end, though, they, they really only wanted to protect their interests. And they set in motion a, a clever solution to their, to their Lazarus problem. But how could this treachery be in line with what I had said earlier? God calls us to celebrate and, and gives us ample reason. That seems like a real stretch. Well, it may help to reflect upon our Old Testament readings this morning, which pulled back a portion of the curtain of mystery surrounding this promised one who was going to come and deliver God's people. The words used and the messages conveyed in both Psalm 118 and um, Zechariah 9 are, are strikingly parallel to this passage in John's gospel. Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you did not know about that looming danger just days away, I guess you would have thought that Watching prophecy be fulfilled right in front of you would have been means for celebration. Certainly the people in the crowds back then thought it was. But before their time, each of the ancient Hebrews who heard from prophets and from kings that there was in fact going to be a redeemer, one who was coming 
They required a great deal of faith as they had to look forward in anticipation of his arrival since it had not happened. For these past 2,000 years, though, we've been privileged to be able to look back upon the advent of Jesus the Christ and to look upon his ministry as mediator between God and man. It, it seems clear to us that Jesus Christ is and was then the promised one. And this morning, our focus is going to be upon the context and the outcomes of his so-called triumphal entry into Jerusalem that very first Palm Sunday, just days before Jesus' final Passover. How important do you think that last week of his life before the crucifixion was in truth? I'll ask you to consider this. The good Dr. Luke, that thoughtful researcher and physician and who scoured and learned God's truth and committed to a gospel much of the things we know about Jesus, he devoted about 25% of his lengthy gospel to that last week. Matthew, over 30%. Mark, nearly 40%. And the beloved apostle John, half. About 50% of his gospel account deals with that last one week. Oh, it's important, really important, apparently. Certainly, apparently, it's important to God. I would say that it's reasonable to suggest that apart from the events of those few days in and around Jerusalem, the full extent of God's merciful love and his, his gracious provision to mankind could never be known, period. There was never a plan B with God, ever, A sacrificial death, a mournful burial, and a physical resurrection were absolutely essential for the Lord's salvation to be made available to lost sinners. And that was the, the true why of Holy Week. But that's not why the crowds came. And the disciples didn't really comprehend the situation. And the world didn't take much notice. Why did the crowds form anyway? What, what were the disciples expecting? Well, history tells us that, for, that before Jesus anyway, the Israelites had suffered what they would say was almost 500 years of ceaseless domination by outsiders. We ought not be surprised that they were actually clamoring for a, a worldly deliverer who would, who would dethrone the current Roman overlords and, and rule Palestine as a, as a lion in Judah. But instead, God sent a humble lamb whose kingdom was not to be of this world. And then why the crowds that week, that particular week, well, Hebrews annually made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It was always in the springtime. And it was a tradition that the Jewish families made sure was on their calendar every year, above every other responsibility and every other opportunity. The Passover 
reminded them of their ancestors' deliverance from slavery, from, from bondage, and, and also of their exodus from Egypt. And it also gave succeeding generations renewed hope that they might also be delivered from any of their oppressors. The people, the Israelites of Jesus' time were no different. They came to Jerusalem and they brought with them or they purchased there the sacrificial lambs that were to be offered on the altar. It's possible that that week a quarter of a million lambs were slaughtered in sacrifice. People who study such things say there may have actually been a million people in Jerusalem that Holy Week. Even today, the population of Jerusalem is not one million people. Oh, it, it was a crowd, all right. And there was no Uber, no Grubhub, and no Airbnb. How did they do that? There was none of those things that are modern, but there was something else. There was an, an unusual element, almost a sense of a carnival atmosphere that year. Something was very different. A dead man was walking. That was new. Several times our text reminded us that those who had seen Jesus perform that miracle of calling Lazarus out of the tomb from death into life, they just kept on telling everybody. I would have too, I guess. I mean, he's alive. That's the kind of news that does travel pretty fast, and it can travel pretty far, even in the ancient world. God calls us to celebrate and gives us ample reason. Resurrection would have to be pretty near the top of almost any list, in my opinion. That would be worthy of celebration. That was rare. And ordinarily, yes, it would be remarkable to everyone who would behold that. But, as mentioned earlier, a living and breathing and animated Lazarus proved to be problematic for the religious leaders. That's why they plotted to kill him. It seems rather severe. They plotted to kill him along with the miracle-working Galilean who had given him life and only half of their nefarious plan was accomplished that Holy Week because Lazarus escaped the evil that was intended for him. He wasn't put to death during that week. And every single day that he moved about, he was living proof of God's power over the grave and of God's amazing compassion towards his children. Yes, one day Lazarus did actually die. And it was the exact day that God had always intended that he would enter into eternity. Those days that he lived were a testimony. And his death itself proved that we all will come to the same end. But even that, the fact that he lived on after having been dead, that was just the first and by far the lesser of the fails for the Pharisees. There was something much, much bigger coming. Something 
simple, something pure, something important. And of first importance, according to the Apostle Paul, as he instructed and worshipped with the church in Corinth, he says, of first importance is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the good news of the gospel. That's important. And that's what was going to be of first importance during that area of time after that Holy Week. Christ did die that long ago Friday, and he was buried that same long ago Friday. And it's probably likely that the religious leaders smugly congratulated themselves and probably just took a deep breath and relaxed. I mean, after all, Jesus was out of their hair, right? They probably slept pretty well as that Sabbath began. Yet there must have been an air of uneasiness among them on that long ago Saturday. Sure, the amateur rabbi was dead and gone, but there still were those faint echoes of his troubling declarations about temples and three days. Obviously, he didn't, he didn't mean that literally, right? <laughs> of course not. People don't come back from Lazarus. That long ago Sunday, the first day of a new week, the first day of a new forever, stones rolled, earth shook, light shone, and the tomb was empty. Jesus didn't stay dead. And I'm sorry, I didn't issue a spoiler alert because Easter's next week, but I must say that even that wasn't the biggest fail in the menu of the religious leaders of the day. Really, not even that? Of course, not even that. Having two dead men walking in plain sight in defiance of their theology and their best wishes, that was not the most crushing defeat that the religious leaders experienced. The bitterest pills for them to swallow were their own prophetic words that came back to haunt them. It's verse 19, the final phrase of our text. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They were right, of course, but they lacked any perspective of how extremely wrong they were about the extent of their unwitting prophecy. The chief priests, scribes, Sadducees and Pharisees of that long ago Holy Week had no concept of the scope of, of their utter and epic fail. They actually thought that the Nazarene and his influence were limited to this world. Oh, how foolish. They should have known better. God calls us to celebrate and gives us ample reason. Once again, I'm going to turn to the beloved apostle, 
as he provides the truth of the matter of it all in, in a vision of heaven, which comes from the book of Revelation and in chapter 7. The portion I'm going to read comes immediately after the one who saw heaven revealed was enumerating the different tribes by name and speaking of the 12,000 that were going to be confirmed somehow that ancient Israel was going to be preserved in eternity future. You can reference Romans 9, 10, and 11 for a further discussion. But for our purposes today, it comes after him saying, here's the name of the tribe and here's the 12,000, a specific number. Then comes this portion of the scripture in Revelation chapter 7. Verse 9 and following. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. He just numbered Israel. From every nation, not just Palestine. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. They said, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Please bear with me when I say this. It is not always Easter in heaven, but apparently it always is Palm Sunday. What had been just a temporary celebration in Jerusalem, the city of peace, was transformed into something more. And it was shown to be what it really is in eternity. A celebration that never ends. An eternal celebration in the place of pure peace among all those who've been gathered. The Savior died once for all and he rose again once for all that resurrection day on earth. That's true enough. But the innumerable cloud of redeemed witnesses from every nation, tribe, people, and language continues always giving praises to Christ in paradise forever and forever without fail. It is their privilege to do so. It will be ours. As it is today, gathered here for worship. Worship of the very same God who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not a war horse. He came saying, I come in peace. The words of John's gospel and revelation are almost identical. The crowds, the, the shouting of, Hosanna, salvation belongs to our God. The waving of palm branches and the the worshiping of Jesus as the one true redeemer. The biblical mystery is solved once for all. Dear friends, there's, there's no doubt anymore, past, present, and future. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And for all of us 
in Christ, God has saved the very best, the very best for last. And that without fail. In the fullness of time, we all will take our place in that chorus. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and forever. Amen.